I'm Dean Murdoch, and this is Amazing Places. Welcome to another episode of Amazing Places. Today, I've got a special guest joining us. He is the CEO and founder of a great organization called Power to Be. Please welcome Tim Cormode. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Thanks for having me today. Really appreciate it. Hey, it's great to have you here. I was excited to have you on as a guest because uh, your organization does some really cool work that uh, I think is quite unique uh, and it's uh, home right here in the capital region. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Power to Be? Power to Be is a registered charity. Uh, We're based here in Victoria, British Columbia um, with a service um, that's really connected to Vancouver Island and the Lower Mainland. I think what I would tell you is, as, a, as an outcome of our programs is I like to believe that what we do is ultimately we help people, you know, overcome their barriers and see what's possible in their lives and, and, and really fulfill their lives and make them better lives moving forward. And we do that um, through the vehicle of nature, um, getting people outside to play, um, getting people outside to participate in adventure based activities, you know, and adapting to their needs um, as required based on their barriers and their physical disabilities or, or other barriers that they might be facing. And, 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 you know, being sure like all of us have this opportunity to connect to some, a place in nature that I think is really, you know, especially during COVID times, it's become very relevant that you know, health and wellness in the outdoors is really important. So yeah, ultimately what we do is we provide nature-based programs that I think fulfill the lives of those youth and families and adults that are living with barriers in their lives. Why did you decide to, to get involved? You've been at this, I think, 25 years. Why, yeah, I mean, why was this important to you? I think things have changed a lot since the first day, but I think what's ultimately never, I think why I got involved and in, in that the core of that has never changed is this idea of, of just really giving back and wanting to do things in my life that were meaningful and purposeful and, 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 you know, really help people, you know, live better lives. So what I would say is the, the intention behind it was my, I grew up in a, a family um, where my dad is a retired pediatrician. Um, my mom was a retired physiotherapist. I have th- three siblings. So we grew up in a, in a world of healthcare, and we grew up in a small town um, and really saw sort of, you know, experienced the benefits that, you know, my, the work that my parents did and, and really were taught about this idea of giving back. And I would say just, you know, being inclusive and, and being as equitable as possible, meaning, you know, understanding that we come from a place of privilege um, and being fortunate to what we have, but ensuring that, you know, we don't take that for granted in life. So, that was sort of the, I'm going to call the values in which I grew up in. And then when I was in my teens, the first job, summer job that I really liked, and there was many of them that that I did, but the one I really was meaningful to me was I worked um, in a summer program for um, a community-based program for young adults with disabilities. And um, I was sort of a peer support. It was sort of a community-based driven program, getting people, you know, in the summer into out into activities in the community. And, and I, I just, I really loved it. I just, I saw some meaning in my life. It, it made my heart sing and, uh, and it was something I really enjoyed. So I went back and I, and I worked there for three years. Um, and then when I went on to university, um, I needed to, you know, I, I needed work to help pay the bills. And um, I ended up sort of from that work experience, working in a, a community group home um, for adults with disabilities as a sort of a very casual position to help pay the bills. And did that for four years and then moved out to, um, I moved out West in 1994. My, my dad actually did his residency at BC Children's Hospital. So my siblings were actually all born in Vancouver. And, uh, so there was always a calling out West, came back out West and, um, was, ended up getting a job at, uh, Queen Alexander Hospital for Children. I was sort of a, a youth care worker, 
um, and really loved the work per se, but I felt I needed something different as far as the environment in which I was going to work in. And um, anyway, I took a leave of absence and, and uh, you know, part of the West Coast calling for me was the outdoors and the ocean and being on the coast and the mountains and everything else that came with it. And uh, so I, I, I took a mountaineering course. I immersed myself in three months in the Rockies in Canmore, Alberta, learning various activities like ice climbing and rock climbing and whitewater canoeing and backcountry skiing and Anyway, one day we kind of climbed this peak and a group of us is part of the group that I was with. Um, and, and in doing so, um, you know, kind of got to the top of this mountain one day and was sort of, I don't know, it's just really feeling the, the love and the appreciation of being in this magical place. And I just thought, you know, how cool would it be to help, you know, other kids and families that I've worked with in the past or would like to work with moving forward and using nature as a vehicle to, to help them grow and learn. And uh, so the idea was born. Um, I did a bit of research, came back and found an organization in the state that was doing this type of work um, in Colorado. Went down there, I think I cashed in the rest of my credit card and uh, flew down there and uh, spent 10 days um, with that organization as a volunteer. And literally it's, the idea was cemented, I was like, this is what I wanna do. Like I really, this is what I wanna do as, as a work and as a career and as a lifestyle. And um, so I uh, came back and the name came out of nowhere and kind of created a business plan. Uh, and I mean, that business plan, <laughs> I'm sure, I don't have it anymore. It was much different than what we are today. Um, but that was sort of the inspiration behind it. And uh, and I'm really, really glad I decided to take this leap of faith to do what we decided to do. And thankfully you did, because I'm sure after uh, this much time, it's been a huge benefit to no doubt hundreds of uh, participants who've had a chance to get out and enjoy some of that natural beauty that got you so excited in the first place. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say, you know, it was our first, so it was really, when I say trial by error, you know, you sort of, you have this idea and you're, and you're very committed to it and you're excited about it, but you really don't know if it works until you try it. So we got, we got really lucky and now part of our success, I think has been, you know, it's always serendipity, a bit of luck goes a long way. And um, we had, um, when we were first starting out, we were, we sort of said, you know, we should, we should run a program for, for young kids for children or teenagers living with you know cancer is sort of that was sort of an idea that popped in our brain and so we we sent a little kind of one page proposal over to children's bc children's hospital and to their oncology ward and it just so happened actually that there was three three kids that were in treatment currently at the hospital who had reached out to the hospital staff to sort of suggest this idea that it's really great the treatment we get but it'd be awesome to have some other programming in the hospital like an outdoor adventure program where we could get outside the hospital walls and forget about the issues that we're dealing with for for a period of time and um so as that idea was resonating with hospital staff our letter arrived and a phone call came to our table and uh and they sort of said you know we'd like to explore this idea of doing a trip with you guys and so we built this um, this kayaking trip, sea kayaking trip out in the Broken Islands. Um, we, we had 10 um, teens from across British Columbia who, you know, were in recovery um, from cancer at the time and just outside of treatment. And we incorporated some medical professionals. My dad came out to volunteer and we embarked on this trip together for eight days. And uh, when that trip was over, there was no doubt in my mind that the outcomes and the work that went into it and the journey that we went on together was magical and it was like okay this we got to do more of this and uh so that was sort of the i'm going to call it the really critical inspiration behind you know motivation to really 
no, not accept no for an answer and make sure that this thing could succeed for the long term. Who now are some of the participants in your program? It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, over the years, obviously, what I, what I would say that has always been a big success for us and, and a challenge at the same time is, you know, we're always trying to position ourselves to be of the best help possible for whatever the needs are in the community and whatever that might see. So way back in the day when we started out, it was very much focused on physical disabilities and adaptive recreation and and throughout the years, things have shifted and changed. Not that we haven't lost sight of that programming, but we, you know, autism became a very significant, you know, I'm going to say, you know, not issue, but a, a real community need to address. Um, so we started doing a lot of work in the world of autism and then mental health, you know, I mean, even now in COVID is even that much more, uh, you know, mental health became a significant, you know, challenge for for all of us for that matter but you know working with with children and teens that are living with mental health issues so so i would say it's a very diverse group it's from physical disabilities to life-threatening illnesses to those hidden barriers that we don't see um to mental health um and i and i would say the one overarching one that we tend to see quite often too is is the financial barriers um that quite often the families or youth that we face that you know that are limiting them to access these types of opportunities and in my in my opinion everybody should deserve the equal opportunity to enjoy the outdoors. And, and so that's where we come in. And, and those are some of the groups that we're working with to help live better lives. So take us through it. What would someone who joined the program get a chance to experience? Yeah, I'll kind of try to walk you through a couple of journeys. I mean, and I want to take into account that we have an incredibly gifted team that would, you know, probably give you more value. When I say more value, tell you more than I, than I do. I mean, my role is, is largely, you know, raising money. I see the programs. I, I don't participate as much as I do, but I just want to, that caveat because I think it's important to recognize that the, the difference in the magic we make in our programs are from the great team and volunteers that are on the front lines. But what I hear and what I see and what I get to participate when I do is it's, I think, first of all, what I would, I would describe it as, and this is what I've seen firsthand is I think let's just call it a parent arrives with their child for a program. And I would argue that quite often leading up to maybe not knowing what our program is, a lot of parents, I do believe, experience stress and this sense of lack of equality of services for their children. Let's just say in a regular recreation center. And I know recreation centers are doing their best and don't get me wrong, I'm not here to downplay that. But I, where I'm getting at is there's still this feeling when you arrive, like, will my kid be taken care of and feel like a normal kid compared to every other kid in the program. So I think when parents arrive, there's a bit of that experience that they've had where their kid maybe hasn't had um, that experience. And so I think when they first arrive, I think right off the dot and what our staff team does extremely well is that I like to believe that feeling of fear and concern is gone instantly when they arrive on our program. So it's like, oh my God, they're here to support us. They get it. Uh, my kid feels part of something. Um, and it might be a bit of a journey to get there, but the point being is I think that is the first thing that generally happens. And then there's this introduction to this community of caregivers um, who really care about our programs and care about the people um, that are in our programs. So I think the second thing is there's this feeling of community and connection that people feel, they feel part of something right off the dot. It's like, you know what, I'm, this is a community I can, I can relate and resonate with and feel like myself and be okay that I can feel like myself. And and I think, you know, from there they participate in activity, whatever that's like a sea kayaking experience or paddleboard experience or a hike or an overnight trip. Those barriers that they face in their lives, whether it was 
you know, I never saw myself participating in a kayak because of my physical disability. And all of a sudden they're out participating. I think, and actually what I think I know is there is this all of a sudden emotional connection that I can do more than I thought possible. And I've been hearing that I can't do this and I can't do that. And now I'm actually thinking I can. So for me, I think people leave going, they came thinking about, you know, what's not possible and left feeling what is possible. And that to me would be the journey of organization. And that all comes from great people like our staff and volunteers who really do care and, and do their best to ensure that everyone feels part of our community. You talked a bit about uh, the impact of COVID on, um, for, particularly for for mental health and and well being. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a, a an issue for for many of us as we've felt mm-hmm. isolated and and lonely during these times. I imagine that that's a, an even bigger issue for folks who may not be able to get access to the outdoors uh, and and rely on programs like yours. So, what has that experience been like for your participants? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So one of, you know, we we have a, you know, we do some very intensive evaluations of our programs and, and getting, you know, to seek feedback from our participants and how we're doing and where we can improve. And, and there's no doubt that the overarching thing that always comes up is this idea of isolation. And, and it, you know, the idea that many of our participants do live in a bit more of an isolated space than those that say don't have barriers. And, and as a result of that, the opportunities that are given to them are much less. And when the pandemic hit, obviously for, for all the, I'm gonna say it you know, right, but difficult reasons is, you know, we had to distance ourselves and we couldn't, we couldn't join together as groups and, and be part of a community that was so important for our participants and for our people. And, and that face-to-face interaction, you know, is so important. And, and, and the one thing our evaluation has told us over and over and over and over again, that it's not, it's not necessarily the nature-based experience that they, that they leave with. It is a sense of a connection to a community that cares for them. And when you remove that, you know, it, it, it has a significant impact on their lives. And it, and it really hurts inside for all of us to see these things going on. And, and I, I, it's not just our organization. I think right across the board, great, there's a lot of great organizations that really struggle with the fact that A, they couldn't support the participants in the way they do, and that these participants who are already lacking services have nothing, you know, little, very little services available to them and are quite often stuck at home. And then you add this context that we all are living in this world. So I think we can relate to it, even though it's, you know, the issue isn't as strong for us as it might be. Turned out. So I think it also created, I think, a deeper connection for everybody living this to really, truly have a bit more empathy, shall we say, for those that are really, you know, living in this world that are much more isolated than we are. So that said, I think the good things that we did was going back to this idea of just wanting to feel connected is, you know, there was tons of virtual you know, programming to phone calls to participants and families to just connect. And I would say, I think we all crave that right now. I mean, I just a phone call is a nice thing to do for somebody and, and just to say hello and thanks for thinking of me. And, and not to say that I think we've always tried to be like that as an organization, um, but it just became that much more important in, during a time like this. And so you know, I think we're closely getting out of it. We, we are running smaller based programs based on social distancing factors and family bubbles, et cetera. But um, I, yeah, I felt real deeply, you know, concerned for anyone living in a world of isolation that has lived in it prior to, and it just became that much more significantly worse due to the pandemic. So 
Yeah, no easy answer, but uh, we've done our very best, you know, to say, you know, how can we help? And, and I think, again, we've done our very best to keep our participants connected to a community where they feel cared for. Has the pandemic made you think differently about how, what the program offers? There'll be things that will be different moving forward for sure. So, so I, maybe I'll just go back a bit. One of the things I haven't discussed prior to the pandemic that we had been working on for years. So I'll go back to that initial, um, you asked me sort of how we got involved and I'll go back to the initial story when I went to Colorado. So this place in Colorado was a, um, a place called the Breckenridge Outdoor Education Center. And it was, a, it was a facility, it was a space, a place where people can come and, and be part of an outdoor experience, stay for a while, go on an expedition and come back. And, and so the idea of part of me was always born as the idea of having a home and about three, no, four years ago now, um, we received an offer from a very generous family here locally who owned the uh, Prospect Lake Golf Course, which is a beautiful 70 acre lakefront property. Um, and they were closing it down and, and you know, asked us if we'd be willing to take it and, and do something with it. And of course we were absolutely over the moon excited. And uh, and so over time we, 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 we took it over and, and, and then decided it was time to sort of raise money to build, I'm going to call it a, a really sort of world-class nature-based health and wellness center for our participants and not just our participants, for the community at large to come out and enjoy the world of nature. And so, so we ended up raising most of the money to build it. We were, we were about to get into build. Things got a bit delayed with the pandemic. We're actually starting construction, hopefully in two weeks. And the reason why I tell you that is I think what will be different is, is originally the site would have been for and always has been for us to do more like we can run more programs and more services on our site we can offer more opportunities for more groups but that's going to take some time um it's not just going to happen overnight post pandemic that all of a sudden we can have a variety of groups on here we're going to have to really manage you know um that social distancing for a while and 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 probably virtual programs will still be there and i think our staff as much as we'd love to have everybody on site it'll be more of a slow back to work versus you know working from home so there's a a variety of factors still at play that you know it won't be the same but the intention of what we want to do which is to fill the lives of those that we serve and to our funders and to our staff that has not changed it's just going to be done slightly different but i'd like to believe two to three years from now that this place will you know it'll be built and it will be back to a place where it's you know really i'm going to say doing the work it needs to do which is providing more services and more opportunities for people to connect to the outdoors Speaking of your your new build, your new facility, yeah. I know um, you're you're running a campaign to uh, to support the great work that goes on, and I think in part to support that facility. So, if people were interested, how do they how do they contribute? Well, I think the biggest contribution. So, people, I think we'd automatically jump to money. Don't get me wrong, funding and fundraising is super important. Donations help our organization go a long way. I think the other one though, and I like to, cause I like to think of it as, as a very inclusive approach to what we want is money is important, but also people's time. And there's, even though we're in a pandemic, there's tons of volunteer opportunities on our site, for example, building trails and painting sheds and et cetera. So if people are interested in volunteering some time and you know really wanna help us sort of make the site the best site possible for the community. We're always looking for volunteers and we're, we're doing the much smaller scale, obviously based on circumstances, but it's easier to manage because it is outside. Um, we're always you know, seeking funding for our services. 
Um, we've done a pretty good job of raising most of the money for our current build, but there will be future projects, i.e. we want to build a nature playground. Uh, we need to build some accessible washrooms down near the waterfront. So there's always various projects that if people are interested in finding out more, we really encourage you to either you know, go on our website, call us directly and just ask how you can get involved. And we have a list of you know, funding needs from a list of volunteer needs and, and, and both go hand in hand with each other. And that's how I would encourage people to get involved. And, and I would ultimately say, I'd like to believe that those that do get involved, I really like to believe that they're gonna feel a sense of satisfaction and joy and, 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 and real excitement that they didn't get involved and made that choice. Because I'd like to believe that we try to create very similar experiences for volunteers and funders as we do um, for our participants, which is again, this idea of, yeah, letting them know that, you know, fulfilling their hearts a bit more than that maybe it was before they got involved with our organization. You talked a bit about that experience of, of joy that the participants yeah. uh, experience when they're when they're part of the program, and a, a bit about um, that sense of fulfillment that your volunteers would experience. So, what for you have been the moments where you have felt the most joy from what you do? One of my challenges is I'm really bad at looking backwards. I'm always a forward-thinking person. So, I think I, what I will say is the first thing you know. I think the things that give me joy that are connected to this is my value of my family. Um, I'd like to believe that Power to Be is a family um, that nurtures and cares for each other. Um, I come from a family that nurtures and cares for each other from my, my parents, my sisters, my brothers, my wife, and, and my three-year-old daughter. So I think what gives me the greatest pleasure is being a father and a husband and, 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 and learning that journey every day. But anything I learned in that applies to my day-to-day -day work. Um, so, you know, from a work perspective, I, I have, I'm very fortunate that I get to work at our site and 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 experience and see firsthand prior to the pandemic, getting better now because obviously we're bringing more programs out, but getting a chance to see our services in action and and knowing that the hard work and and the passion and the excitement to help you know people live better lives is there and to see it and to experience it and to just yeah like to say hi to the participants and, and and hang out with them a bit like i you know i used to work in the field quite often i don't as much anymore but i have some i'm gonna say some close relationships with certain participants that i've known over the years and it's always nice to see them back and uh and that really you know inspires and excites me and and also our funders, like, I mean, you know, I, I won't, I guess I could say is every day something excites me, inspires me. Like I, I, I'm very, I feel very privileged that I live in a work, in a job and a personal life where there's always something every day that inspires me and excites me. It's very rare that I go to work, you know, probably two days of the year where I'm struggling, but there's always something exciting every day. And, and, uh, and, and that's largely in part to our participants and our funders and, and everyone that supports us. It's just, uh, I feel really blessed, I guess. It's that, it's, that, it's that feeling and culture of gratitude that I just feel every day. And it's for all the various reasons I just talked to. And I think, you know, I live in a, a very value-based side of being a, of a family. And, and to me, that has had a significant impact, you know, in the organization on a daily basis. So that would be my answer. I hope that's, <laughs> it's probably a little bit, uh, maybe not as specific, but it's more, it's a general thing for me that I experience every day. I think there's so many great charities doing great work. And I'd like to believe that during the pandemic, we all came together and started to do things a little bit different and a little bit more effectively and better. And what I mean by that is, 
in the world of fundraising, all those organizations that offer grants and funding kind of let their guard down and, and just got money out the door as fast as they could. And it was much more about trust-based philanthropy where you know, the restrictions were less, but the trust and the leadership to deliver on the funding was critical. And, and this collaborative effort where, you know, instead of us operating in silos and, and not to say that power to be, I think one of our niches is this collaborative model, but the idea that you know, sometimes we, we end up trying to do the same thing, competing for resources with others versus how do, we, how do we work together to, you know, really sort of stretch our dollars as much as possible, but at the same time have much scalable and larger scale impact if we're doing it together versus, you know, operating in, in different sort of silos. And, and, and I think what I'd like to say is I, I started to see that and I see a lot more collaboration now than I ever had in our sector. And, and I really hope it continues and we don't lose sight and go back to a way of, of, of giving that I think had moments of glory but but had its struggles too and i think the shakeup that's happened because of the pandemic i think collaboration and trust-based philanthropy is the way to go and i really hope that we build on that for years to come because you know i think there's certain measurements that we try to we define success with these organizations when i think you know the charitable sector is a business too and, and we are doing our best to keep people healthy and happy in our culture and and pay them for what they're deserved and and and, and at the same time you know, ensuring that our clients get the best service possible with the best employees and the best people. And so I, I'd like to believe and I hope I would offer is, you know, let's just keep learning through this, you know, experience that we've had and, and come out of this on the other side, just doing things way more effective and way better and focus more on effectiveness and impact than efficiencies, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So what has been different in that regard when you talk about being more trusting of the charitable organizations and and that can leading to more effectiveness what has been different about it yeah so i would say it's sort of like i believe that when you invest in an organization or donate to an organization i like the word invest because it is an investment you may not get the, the return on your dollar as you would like as far as a profit but the profit is you're changing people's lives which to me has immeasurable effects on on the community at large um i think what i'm getting at is you know, quite often there's a lot of processes for charities to writing grants. I mean, the paperwork can be quite strenuous. It can take a long time. Um, it's for the amount of work and energy goes into it for the grant that comes back. It's, it's usually already paid for by the staff time that's gone into it. Um, I, so I guess where I'm going is I think unrestricted giving is a really great thing in the sense of, you know, where organizations and grants are, are giving grants with the intention that giving the opportunity for the organization to define their impact and really just trusting in the leadership and the people to go for it. Like entrepreneurism to me is, I think anyone invests in a, in a tech company or a startup, whatever, like they're investing in the leadership and they're like, okay, here's the money, we trust you, go run with it and show us what you're capable of. And I think the other thing I would add is in today's world in the pandemic, we're gonna have to try new things. We're gonna have to do things differently than we did before. And there's a risk to that and it may not work out um, but I believe good calculated risks are what help organizations be better. You don't learn by being the best. You learn by being the best by failing at times along the way. And I think in the charitable sector, we sometimes fear failing and that a funder is going to cut funding because we failed versus that we tried something new to, to do something better. And it, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but it doesn't mean we're not trying to better the lives of people. So I think thinking in a way that allows for more risk and, and allows for more you know, opportunities to explore new horizons and and the fact that the organizations feel you know supported in a way to say go do what you need to do because we believe in you 
is the message that I think had happened and started to happen and needs to continue, you know, moving forward. So you're 25 years in uh, yeah. after, after the 23 next 20, and a, 23 and a half, but we're getting to 25. So after the next 23 and a half years, <laughs> what do you want to reflect on as, uh, as the outcome of the work you've been doing? Well, I will be 74. Um, I'd like to believe that my children will be healthy and happy and have had a chance to experience some of the work that I do and are, are doing great things in the world and whatever dreams they're following. And, and I'd like to believe that I'm coming back here with my children and, and watching and getting a chance to sort of witness and volunteer perhaps and see how the next generation of leadership has taken this organization to an all new level and did it better than me. And, uh, and, uh, and that this place is, the center is thriving like it's never thrived before. And I just still feel like I'm part of the journey, but probably wearing a much different hat than the hat I'm wearing today. And, and that's what I'd like to believe you know, we'll have, and I'd like to believe that, you know, I think, especially social media, you know, I think, uh, what is it, uh, we're probably two to three degrees of separation. And I hope that our organization, you know, continues to inspire other organizations who are in their early startup stages now and, and inspire them to, you know, not give up on their dreams and passions. And, and I like to believe that we're an organization that shares a lot of our resources and shares our time with other organizations, because that's how we got to where we are today. So I hope that culture of gratitude and giving back is never, never lost. And I'd like to believe is only amplified when I come back at 74 to see how things are going. Tim Cormode is the CEO and founder of Power To Be. Appreciate you having me today. It was really great, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. It, you know, you're involved in such great work and it's such a pleasure to hear about these experiences that you're able to bring to people who may never otherwise get the opportunity to, to experience the, the outdoors and the kinds of activities you, you bring them to. Well, thanks. And I, I hope that you'll uh, come up for a tour sometime. Oh, absolutely. Would love it. Okay, man. This has been another episode of Amazing Places. I'm Dean Murdoch. Thanks for listening.